Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, we're in for a long one. A long weekend, that is. And you deserve to spend it on the couch with a glass of something good. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered quickly. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. At Progressive, we know there's nothing like the feeling of riding a motorcycle with your crew on the open road. It's a primal, wild freedom. A feeling that would be impossible to recreate on the radio. Until now. Hit it, sound effects guy. Hmm, no. You know, we really lost a stride at the end there. Get 24-7 roadside assistance with Progressive, America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Roadside assistance subject to policy terms and limits and may require comprehensive coverage. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 133 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Johnny Hawkins from Nothing More, I want to remind you with the holidays just a few days away that you can still get great gifts in the shop at MistressCarrie.com. If you've got a Mistress Carrie fan or a rock fan on your shopping list, there's great fitted caps, trucker hats, visors, a concert-approved crossbody clear plastic bag, plus hoodies, beanies, t-shirts and tank tops, coffee mugs, and even the official Mistress Carrie Christmas ornaments. That's right, you can put my balls on your tree this holiday season. Just head to MistressCarrie.com and head to the shop. This week, my guest Johnny Hawkins, the lead singer and percussionist from Nothing More and I, sat down to talk about a lot of stuff. Now, Johnny is not only the singer and percussionist in Nothing More, he's also a producer and entrepreneur, and we talked a lot about the music industry in Nashville. We also talked about his plans for the holidays and the traveling that he's done. We also talked serious talk about Caffeine, the band's upcoming performance on Shiprocked, and we talked about the isolation during COVID and how that manifested on the band's new album, Spirits. We also talked about the difference between releasing full bodies of work as full albums versus releasing singles, the pressures of social media. Him trying to learn nothing more songs on piano and unnecessary guitar solos. We talked about the future of rock and we also talked about the spirit personality test that the band put out when the record came out. We talked about being on the soundtrack for the film The Retaliators this year and working with producer and raw lead singer Sahaj Tikitin. And that's just the start. I've been a huge Nothing More fan since the band broke. And Johnny is one of the nicest guys to interview. And he's got a lot of opinions. And I loved having him on the show and can't wait to have him back. So allow me to introduce you to Johnny Hawkins from Nothing More. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. 
Kane, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to... You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Well, hello, Johnny. Hello. It's nice to see you. You too. You too. Where are you right now? I always got to start with that question. Um, I'm in Louisiana at the moment in uh, Baton Rouge. Nice. Yeah, I was just in Nashville the last week. And I just got in here like two nights ago. Um, Nashville was a blast. So I, I have plans to move up to Nashville in the next few months. So I was going to say, uh, it seems like it comes up over and over again on the show that there is a rock invasion of Nashville, that it used to be the home of country yeah. music, but now all the rock music's being made there. Yeah, all the degenerates are moving in and <laughs> I'm one of them. So uh, what is yeah. it about Nashville that you like so much? Um, to be honest with you, I, I wasn't that interested or intrigued by Nashville for many years. Like you said, it just seemed like a country place. It was always nice. Um, but, uh, I think over time, I mean, if enough people that are doing what you're doing, you know, there's co-writers and producers and other artists that we work with. Um, if they're all in the same place, it just kind of turns into a small world. I mean, just in the, the few days I was up there, um, I just had more collaborations and business connections than I have in months. I mean, it was just like, boom, 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 meet this person, meet that person. Oh, hey, love the band. You know, we should do something together. So there's kind of that aspect, but there's also um, the centrality of it as far as like when you start tours, all the bus companies are there. Um, trailer companies, stuff like that. There's also the state taxes are great. So, you know, the government's a little uh, easier when it comes to taxes and stuff like um, uh, divorce laws are better. <laughs> you Wait, know? Is something on the horizon, Johnny? Like, Oh, no, no, no. You know, but, you know, you got to think about that stuff. A lot of people will get married in, in these states where you get uh, raped, you know, by, you know, in, in a very unfair way if things go south. But it's uh, I think they call like an equitable share state or something where um, it's really just based on what you created and what you did versus just, you know, I'm just going to take all this money on one side or the other. But um, don't play uh, this interview I, for your significant other because this could cause problems if you're already oh, thinking no, about good. this. <laughs> <laughs> I, she, she knows I'm a very uh uh, I'm very blunt and straightforward with this stuff. <laughs> a lot of people, I'm not, I'm not very romantic when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, but she's cool. She's, uh, she's one of a kind when it, when it comes to conversations like that. But, um, I think also the, just the, I don't know, like, it feels like a big, small town. Like I can drive from one side of the city to the other in like 15 minutes. Like that's pretty unheard of, um, for a city that's growing at the rate that it is, but, I don't know. It's it's just nice too. It's like I, I'm either it's either there or LA or New York. You know, as far as being in like a, a music hub, and I just that one feels like more livable to me. But I, I'm also from San Antonio, Texas, so kind of used to a little more space, a little more, you know, kind of family living, if you will. Like th there's a little more access to that, and it's a little easier. I had never spent any time in Nashville until recently. I went there for this big like rock podcast convention and oh, okay. I was it the vibe of being in a place that's just completely built on the foundation of music for people like us just yeah. felt so good yeah yeah it is pretty cool um that it has such a history even even though it's in most of it's in the genre that I don't listen to which is country but uh I do listen to some country but um, yeah, I was surprised too, like how industrial it was. Like there was just so many industrial, like, like old buildings that they were converting and turning into stuff. But I love when people take 
like historical or industrial buildings and turn them into something else. Like I love keeping the old stuff and renovating it. Like I just hate when they just get rid of all the stuff and then everything feels like these little, you know, posted stamp things or like strip malls. As far as the eye can see, it's just like, ugh, yeah. Is that why you like coming to visit us in Boston so much? Yeah, actually, I, that's that's a big reason I, I love Boston. You know, uh, there's not many. Um, I guess like you know, there's a there's a few cities in the U.S. that have like that history and kind of keep some of the old buildings. And but the only thing I remember in Boston, I just remember the roads being like really small because there was so much like it's so much older. So it was like difficult to drive around in our bus, <laughs> especially when it's when it snows, because that yeah. makes the roads even more narrow. Yeah, but Boston's beautiful, especially like in the, I guess when it's not freezing cold. I was going to say Boston, for the guy from San Antonio, Boston's beautiful when it's not cold. Yeah, when it's not cold, (laughs) I'll I'll come visit. It happens more often than not that I end up having coffee with the people I talk to on the show. So how are you, cheers, how are you taking (laughs) your coffee? Cheers. I didn't even have time to put it in my, uh, one of my fancy mugs or anything, but. (laughs) Kristen just got this. She was out running errands and how do you take your coffee? Are you a bougie coffee guy? I'm not a bougie coffee guy, but I, uh, I have an espresso machine. That's kind of my, my drug of choice. Um, every morning, uh, like, I don't think it even does anything for me anymore. I think it's really (laughs) placebo effect at this point. Like my, my body just processes it like, like a nutrient. I just drink like three a day. I'm like that too. I'm just, especially working in my own studio most of the time. It's like you just have this immediate access to an unlimited supply of coffee. So you take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a drug that you can, uh, you know, still keep your job and your social life intact, (laughs) you know? So it's the drug of choice. So you're (laughs) off the road for the rest of the year, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Until, um, Sometime in, I think the end of January or February, we're going to go to uh, Shiprocked. So that, that big cruise. Oh, yeah. Um, I just talked yeah. to Aaron Jones about that recently because oh, okay, nice. to me, the, the, when I heard about these cruises when they started, I was like, is it really a good idea to put that many metalheads on a boat in the middle of the ocean? <laughs> But, With alcohol, yeah. yeah. Right? But everybody I talk to that's done them says they're an absolute blast. Yeah. Yeah, it is. There's not, um, I, I, yeah, there's not really like the drama or the, the, the I don't know, like like you, what you would imagine could potentially happen in that scenario. It's like, I think most people that are there are just genuinely happy and thankful that they got got on the list because the, it, it just sells out every year. And so many people rebuy tickets and are like repeat ship rockers. So it's kind of hard to, to get on it. I've heard, um, we always play it. So what, you know, we get the easy yeah, mode. The when it comes to that. Yeah. We get the hookup. We just have to pay for it in, in performance. Well, there are worse things than being on a cruise in the middle of January or February when you could be <laughs> in freezing cold Boston. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's a good time. I mean, uh, we've had a great time the two times that we've done it. And then my guitar player, Mark, he, uh, he did the stowaways one year. I think it was the year everybody got COVID. So I think they came back and they were all sick or something, but <laughs> it's been, uh, it's been a, obviously a crazy few years for everybody and yeah, musicians. <laughs> number one, you were in one place for longer than you're used to because you're just constantly on the road. So being still is, is an adjustment. And then to have a creative outlet to kind of funnel that all through, you kind of, when you get ready to release a record after something like that, you could either have the mentality of we're going to be an escape from all the craziness that happened, or we're going to create and funnel all the craziness that happened into what we do. So talk to me about how the stationary time affected you and then how all of this experience affected the new record. Um, that's a good question. Uh, the stationary time affected me in like a, 
definitely experienced like different sides of myself that I, I hadn't before. Cause like you said, I'm usually in motion, at least for the past 10 years I've been in motion. Um, and before COVID I had moved to Louisiana. Um, and I felt a little bit isolated out here cause I, I had some friends, but I, you know, it wasn't like the lifelong friends I had grown up with, you know, and I just, I felt a little like, like I wasn't, um, what's the word? Like, I just wasn't really connecting fully. Um, even though I had, I've had a lot of fun in Louisiana, but it was like, it just always felt like a temporary venture. Um, and it was just because of, you know, like my personal circumstances and family and stuff. So, uh, I, I didn't really like it for a while. I was kind of like resistant to it. And, um, I realized in that kind of like isolation feeling like how much, other people around you actually contribute to your mental state, like uh, just how you feel every day or how you um, see yourself or, or whatever. Um, and so I think certain songs like on our, our new album, like the song spirits, like that one was actually probably one of the gems that came out of some of that isolation. Cause a lot of the lyrics relate to um, some of the thoughts that I was having and some of the, kind of the dark holes that I found myself in that I had to climb out of. And, you know, like, like many people just drinking maybe a little too much alcohol, <laughs> uh, stuff like that. So I think um, it became obvious to everyone in the rock community, how interconnected we all are and how dependent on being around those like-minded people in that community that we've built together, how dependent we are on that. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, especially when, when it comes to like creativity, even like I, I found in some ways I found some like really cool, creative things that I never would have found had I not gone into this time period and just kind of been alone in a room for a long time. But at the same time, there's so much that happens creatively when you're just in interaction with other people, especially like in the same room physically, like there's this, there's all these unspoken things and unseen things like, just subtle body language or just like these immediate emotional reactive things that we pick up, we pick up on instinctively, but we're not, we don't consciously notice it, but all those things have these effects that like cause this back and forth that, that has a lot of creative things are born out of that process. So it was weird, like making an album and being separated so much. Normally, normally in the normal world before COVID, what was the the writing process for nothing more? Meaning, was it a lyric idea, a melody idea, a riff idea? And then did you build the songs around that? I'm fascinated by the songwriting process because I just can't do it. And every artist and band kind of does it differently. And Mm -hmm. then did that process change on this record because of that isolation? Um, yeah, the process absolutely changed. We had to adjust like everyone, uh, in some degree, but we also, this is the first time we also lived in different States. So Mark and Dan were in Texas. I was in Louisiana and Ben was in Arizona. So we did travel and get together here and there to, you know, jam in the jam room. But, um, a lot of it was made like individually doing our parts and sending files like to each other. And then, you know, in some ways, like I did like, you know, getting that space and that freedom to be able to explore ideas like on my own without anyone else in the room, judging it prematurely or, you know, me just really getting to go down a rabbit hole. I like that part, but at the same time, it was so frustrating that you'd share stuff and then it would just turn into almost like these giant text threads about like feedback on it. And it was just like really cumbersome. It's like, I just want to have an immediate, like, you know, read on your face or like a quick feedback and like in person, it's just so much more efficient and quick and natural. So I didn't like that part of it. It was very unnatural in that way. Like just, doing a lot of things through typing and everyone being on a different schedule, you know, and not 
Uh, it was a little bit out of sync at times. So there's nothing it was a very worse than being trapped in a text thread. Oh yeah. Like we, we basically made that album on a Google chat thread is <laughs> what it was. And it, it was, it was pretty awful, but we, we got to the finish line and we're really happy with it now, but the process was probably one of the least enjoyable ones of any album we've worked on. Um, but we learned, you know, I, had we not gone through that process and this is like most things in life, you look back and you go, I didn't want to, you know, go down that road, but I did. And here are these little gems that came out of it. Um, and I'm going to take those with me. Like I have skills now that I didn't have before. Um, I have a lot of confidence in myself in production and doing stuff like completely on my own um, that I just had to develop because of the circumstances. So I'm thankful for all that, but I don't think we'll ever make a record like that again. <laughs> I had to do the same thing because now I built my own studio through COVID and work in mm -hmm. my own place. And like, it was really nice having an IT guy and an engineer when things broke and you had somebody to call in. And now that I work out of my own studio, it's like, oh, I have to know how all this shit works. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like a different part of your brain. Um, that that was a tricky thing too. When when I was working on this, you know, there's like the technical side, which is kind of like your left brain, and there's a the creative side, which is kind of like the right brain, as they describe it. And I felt like I was dipping into both a little too much. Where at, at times it was like an it was a strong exercise, just like learning the drums or something, where you have to have that independence between your limbs. But at other times I felt like I'm going at half speed on both because I need, if I could just have someone to be technical and I could be more creative or vice versa, you know, and I can be the technical, technical guy in the seat, just making the song happen. So that's why we were, were in Nashville this last week, just uh, working with engineers and co-writers and producers. Cause our whole, uh, I guess, moral of the story through this time period for us as a band and as a business is that we want to get albums out faster. We just, we went on such a deep dive and I'm glad we did, but we're like, you know what? The fans want the music faster and we need to get it out faster just as a business. Like, so we can keep things moving. Like we had to rebuild so much momentum after this time period that it's been way more difficult than I thought it would be. I like, I thought we'd kind of pick up where we left off, but there was a lot of momentum that was lost. And now that we felt that, I don't want to feel that again. So we're going to, we're, we're changing things up. We're getting better. We're getting stronger. I think this next album is going to be even like smoke anything we've ever done. Like even the demos are already like sounding amazing. So I'm really excited. Talk to me about your, <clears throat> your mindset when it comes to the way the industry is changing, because big artists in rock guys like Godsmack, disturbed and slipknot have talked about shifting from the, album release kind of model to being able to kind of do what you're talking about, which is release music faster by releasing EPs and singles, as opposed to waiting around to have a full body of work completed. Are you guys thinking that way too? Um, yeah, in some ways, the uh, because w we used to like to really put albums out as a whole body of work. Um, but now that we're, four albums in um like it, i guess three albums on a label but we had you know the few not fleeting before that um we have enough of a body of work that i feel like we're cool to start doing that we were pretty resistant to that idea for a while because we're such an album band like when you listen to our album from start to finish it's kind of an experience there's it just gives you a different impression than just showing somebody one of our songs so we always wanted to present it in that way um and uh, so, so now, though, I think because we have that body of work behind us, people can always access it. So I think we'll probably release a single before we release the next album, like one or two even, just to see how they do. I mean, we saw even uh, uh, like Falling in Reverse as an example, just on the business side. Um, I think they released, you know, a single, no album, and then they released a follow-up and it just had so much success for them and for Ronnie. Uh, and so it was kind of like a little lesson learned. I was like, huh, okay. So that can do a lot of good for you and really get people excited without having to even release a whole album yet. So 
we're going to explore that this next one. So are you always working on song ideas? Because I've talked to different artists like Zach Wilde, for example, told me something that blew my mind. He said that he writes when he needs to write and mm-hmm. he sits down, takes the idea and doesn't get up or work on anything else until that idea is done. And then there's artists that I've talked to that like sing riffs into phones or will wake up in the middle of the night with a journal, with a song idea or a lyric. And they kind of have this vault that they can dip into for creative springboards. How does it work for you? Yeah, I'm more like the latter. Um, I do a lot of voice memos and, and ideas to myself. Now, sometimes if I have the time and I'm really feeling something. I will complete like an idea enough to where it's like, okay, this is a complete thought. There's a verse idea. There's a chorus idea. And then maybe there's a bridge, but those are usually the most important building blocks of a song. If you have a verse and a chorus, you can pretty much like you can judge whether it's a good idea or not. And then you can build from there a bridge and an intro and, and post chorus or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I, I guess like growing up and being an adult, like I was surprised, like how much time in my life gets dedicated to so many other things. Like I always had this idea in my head growing up that when we make it as a band, you know, I'm going to just be like making music all the time. And uh, sadly, (laughs) like reality has, has revealed itself. And so much of my time spent just doing, adult things and managing things and people and all this other stuff. So I honestly fight for time to work on music. And um, my biggest challenge is like giving myself the time. Like sometimes I'll feel guilty working on music because there's all these other responsibilities that like keep nagging at me to like be taken care of. So I have to, we kind of have to craft that, carve that time out. And that's why even like trips, like going to Nashville and stuff like that, it's good because there's like a singular purpose to it and you just focus, get it done. Well, it's a lot different too than when you were growing up because you've got all of these kind of digital responsibilities and, and there's generating all that content. And there's just all of these other things that have kind of been born out of the digital revolution that are responsibilities of bands now. Yeah. 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 I mean, I would, I've been very, I would say kind of resistant to it just cause, um, and, and it's only to my own detriment in the sense that like the labels are always pushing you to kind of be a content creator. And I just have always been like, like, yeah, I, I see that it's going to help my career and I kind of need to do it. Like it's a necessary evil nowadays. Cause it's just where the public marketplace is. It's where people's eyeballs are. And, but at times like I was resistant cause I just, I just don't enjoy it. Like I just don't want to be a content creator. That's kind of, well, you, you know, are your contents, your music, right? Like I don't mind. I love making music and music videos and like the stuff I'm into, but when it comes to like stupid little videos that just kind of don't mean anything <laughs> like, you know, like these people are, are super famous on TikTok for like, complete bullshit like i'm just like that's what they do all day i'm like that just seems so vapid to me and like i just don't care about it enough you know to be interested so i've i've worked at it very hard to like figure out okay well how can i do this in a way that still connects to what i like and so what i've started doing recently is uh i was like you know what i've always wanted to get better at piano um i've always kind of known how to play on a surface level, just enough to write music and ideas. But I was like, I've always wanted to get better. So I was like, well, maybe I'll just like start filming myself, learning some of our songs and singing like parts from them. And that seemed to do pretty well so far. So I think I'm going to keep doing that. And at least I'll have some content and it won't feel completely meaningless. Like, I feel like I'll be developing something that I actually care about, you know? Well, you come from a a long line of examples of vocalists that have a percussion background. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you you kind of grow up with that percussion thing, and then all of a sudden, at one point or another, you're like, "All right, I'm stepping out front and grabbing the mic and becoming the front man of the band." Like <laughs> that affects kind of how you look at songwriting, performance, all of it, because a lot of songwriters don't have that percussion and rhythm background. 
So I would right. assume that when you do have it, it changes kind of everything. And Oh, it does. Yeah. Even just like playing the piano, I, because I played drums for so many years, I kind of approach it differently. Um, my, my, the rhythm aspects that I bring to it, like I end up writing things that are different than like someone who just grew up being taught piano by someone in a traditional way. Um, well, especially so think, like you were talking about having your appendages doing two different things. Right. That's right. a skill set that drummers have that some other people don't. Yeah. Yeah. So it definitely helps a lot. Like I have a, a much higher starting point in a sense uh, going into it, but it also, I think like starting on an instrument kind of keeps you a, a little grounded too. Cause a lot of people who start singing and if they get any measure of success pretty quickly, I don't know why it's, it, they call it LSD, like the lead singer disorder. Um, but you're just not as grounded, I guess, cause you hadn't built those skills from the, you know, like learning an instrument from the ground up and kind of slugged it out in the trenches or whatever and saw kind of like the perspective of being like a musician and a band member versus like the star of the show. And um, having those, and you know, like if you're a guitar player, like Hendrix existed. So the bar, you know, as a drummer, you know, you're looking at a guy like Keith Moon or Neil Peart or John Bonham, where it's like those guys existed and you've got to measure your failure against their success. I would think that's very humbling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I always wanted to quit. Like when I, I begged my mom for a drum set when I was a kid. And I after like any kid, you know, once the excitement wears off and you realize it's just like hard work, you're kind of like, I'm not really into this anymore. And she's like, nope, you got to finish. You know, we paid for lessons for however many months. She's like, you have to finish it. Like, because... And so she held me to it. And, and to me, that was like good parenting. Like I appreciated that they did that, even though I hated it at the time, because now I look back and I'm like, well, I'm glad I did because uh, now it's fun, but it wasn't fun for a few years. You know, <laughs> I have a theory about music that um, you get there. There's kind of two phases to your musical life. There's the music you get gifted the soundtrack to your childhood. And then right. you stumble upon something kind of in your adolescence and that line in the sand, you cross on your own and go, wait, no, I like that because I decided I like that. So what was the soundtrack to your childhood? And then what artist song record was it where you kind of stepped out and said, okay, that's what I like now. Right. Um, the music that uh, my dad, I would hear playing a lot. He, he listened to like America and bread and uh, kind of like these little more gentle on the ears kind of what's the word almost I don't know it's like folky Americana ish or I don't I don't know not Americana but um, he also listened to like bands like Rush and things like that um, white dad rock whatever you <laughs> want to call that um, but my mom was a little more like edgy she liked to rock rock like she liked acdc and um she liked some metallica stuff and but she 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 grew up very like rhythm and blues so she really liked like blues and stuff like uh when uh stevie ray vaughn would come on the radio like she would would just crank it um so th that was kind of yeah the, what i was born into but then uh uh, oh, and Led Zeppelin. I remember when Stairway to Heaven came on, she'd always crank that up too, and Queen, things like that. But then when I started like branching out, like I remember hip hop was like a big deal in the 90s. Like, and that's a that's actually we got what got me more interested in the drums because I always liked the beat. I was like, I just there was something simple about it that I really like connected with primally. And then uh so I started reaching out. And of course, the only bands I had access to when I was really young were like Christian rock bands because my parents were pretty like sheltering in a sense. So I like started listening to DC talk and like all these like underground Christian rap artists, which is hilarious. <laughs> and then uh, but then I started getting into grunge and stuff like that. And I started listening to this band Grandma Train. And of course, Nirvana was like blown up around then and smashing pumpkins like was my buddy smuggled me a, a tape that he recorded from 
you know, the radio when they play something and you're like, oh, got to hit record. And I just remember Bullet on Butterfly Wings from Smashing Pumpkins. That was like the first moment I heard something like outside of my little bubble that I was in that I was like, whoa, what is this? Like, this is intense feeling. And then from there, I got a little older. And the next like mind-blowing experience that I remember was uh, I was at like a, a, a slumber party, kind of like sleepover birthday where we were just playing video games all night. And all the kids had left the room and I was still in there playing some game. And then I saw like a, uh, a CD player, like with the little headphones and it was just spinning. And I was like, I wonder what that is. And I put it on and it was Tool uh, Anima, that album. And I just remember being like, I was literally frightened. Like it actually scared me because I, I don't know, it was so dark and like something I'd never heard before. That'll change your that, DNA the first time you hear it. Yeah, yeah. It was like palpable. Like something about it was just, and I just like threw the headphones off. <laughs> I, I'll never forget. It, it was that impactful. Um, but then I was like kind of intrigued by it. I was curious. I was like, what was that? And from then on, like, yeah, that was like, I went down a whole nother path. <laughs> There have been so many phases of of rock music and there have been, you know, people that have been saying for decades, oh, rock is dead or whatever. And recently I talked to David Draymond from Disturbed and we were having this discussion and I said, well, you know, remarkably, he and I have known each other for a couple decades now since the band started. And I said, well, what's your opinion on the future of rock music and is rock in fact dead? And David Draymond said he believes that any genre of music is only as good as the newer artists that are coming up in the next generation. And he named you and nothing more one of the bands that made him feel confident that rock was solid moving forward because nothing more has kind of grabbed that flag in one of the bands that's charging forward. And I thought it was really nice that, you know, Mm. David Draymond from Disturbed was talking about nothing more that way. Yeah, no, that's a, that's that's a huge thing to hear. That's really awesome. That made me feel really awesome, uh, really good to hear that. Because um, yeah, Disturbed was one of those bands that I had that moment that I kind of like I described with Tool, where my buddy showed me down with the sickness, and I'm like, "What the hell is going on?" But it was like the best kind of like shock. I was like, "Who is this?" And my buddy like learned all of their stuff on guitar. Um, so that was like another huge moment so yeah to to even grow up and like tour with them and then for david draymond to say something like that's pretty pretty surreal for me um but yeah no i i I definitely view ourselves that way in the sense that we kind of grew up in their wake and are um you know just carrying like there's a spirit in rock and metal that i just don't get anywhere else and while I listen to all genres of music, there's something that's just like, there's an undying like spirit and a feeling of like freedom and rebellion and like angst and like all these things that are, I was concerned for a little while. Cause like, it seemed like all the rock bands were like chasing pop, you know, it's like, they're just, and I get like, there's good pop melodies and there's good pop artists, but I was like, man, these rock bands sounding like, way too poppy every verse like it's like they're trying to chase what's popular it's like just be what the spirit of this is you know because it's a powerful thing but it's kind of it felt like yeah it kind of went underground for a little while well i think that i think that the business model of it affects the creative and the access of the technology like for you guys to write a record in four different states And also to have a lot of these more independent labels that aren't pressuring you, you know, once Nirvana broke, every band in Seattle had to be that stereotypical grunge band. And anybody that sounded like that got a record deal. The way that L.A. and Hollywood in the 80s, after bands like Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses. So now you've got all these kind of independent outlets that are looking for artists that are different. That can only breed, I would think, creativity for you to feel encouraged to take chances yeah i mean i call us the land of misfit toys that like no one else wanted to invite us to the party so we made our own party and now it's the party everyone else wants to get into 
Right. And I think that's the right approach. That's kind of what I was getting. Like yeah. you just said it in a great way, but that's kind of how I felt when I listened to a lot of rock bands, maybe 10 years ago. And like, it, it, it just, it started turning into this, like they're trying to get into the other party. And I'm like, dude, fuck that party. Like <laughs> that party's stupid. You're going like, to get in like, and find out just, it sucks. Yeah. Like make, just, make something else cool and then like have other people, you know, build it and they will come kind of a mentality. Um, and that's kind of what we're, that's what we're chasing constantly. How do we, as a band make something that's different? Like when all these bands, you know, the band periphery, we, we toured with them for a little while, but when they broke, um, they had this sound that all these bands started chasing kind of started the genty metal thing, even though Meshuggah was kind of like the grandfather of that in six um, but then every band started sounding like that and it's like, okay, that's badass. But like, if we chase that, we know we're like amongst like thousands of other bands trying to sound just like that. So like, how do we just continually try to build our own thing and people will come over time? Um, so anyway, that's kind of our philosophy. One of the things I talk to artists about and songwriters about is, is the craft of songwriting and obviously the songs that have come before. Because when you're trying to chart your own path, you have to do it knowing all of the riffs and songs and bands that have come before to try and be different. And so if you can think of an example, and this is a craft question, mm -hmm. give me an example of a song that you think is perfectly crafted a song you wish you wrote because all of the elements of it are are perfect but then you got to tell me why and it can be any artist any genre that doesn't matter but a song that oh. you just go the art of songwriting that is an example that's perfect oh that's a that's a big one um let me let me think because to me, it's so intimidating I mean, to try and write a song with all the songs yeah. that have come before you. Yeah. I One that's always stood out to me, and maybe it's going to sound cliche, but Stairway to Heaven. I mean, it just has, like, the element of the, the melody is super compelling, like, all the melodies throughout it. And it's and it's soft and beautiful to, to rocking and, and energetic. And it has a guitar solo that's meaningful. Like there's so many guitar solos that I hate because I'm just like, why did you even, nobody wants to hear you noodle guitar player, like shut up. Like it's just <laughs> so many guitar players just play to play. And it's like, okay, we get it. You can play, but like, what's the, what's the like path you're taking me down? Like make me follow it. And, and it has, so it's like, that feels good. Everything still has like a unique character. It doesn't, I don't know. It, it's just like one of those magical songs that has some, it has the X factor that I think like a really, cause there's a lot of songs that on paper, yeah, they have all the right things, but there isn't that X factor. Um, it's almost like too perfect. And it just sounds like, like a manufactured product. It just, it could be ex this other song too. It's just kind of interchangeable. Um, Say, so yeah, I would pick that one. I mean, you that's that's in the Everest, you know. That's that's Mount Rushmore of rock songs for a reason because right, right. it's that good. Right. Yeah. When you released Spirits in October, obviously the ties to Halloween, which I know you're an October baby. I'm an October baby. Halloween's my uh, jam. Yeah. Um, you released this test to like analyze yourself and analyze your own spirit and stuff, and I took it. And I was like, I did not expect to have my personality type analyzed by nothing more because they're releasing a new album. <laughs> and it was fucking dead on, I will tell you. Oh, awesome. Which, which type did you end up being? Uh, hold on. I had I brought it up because I want to be able to read it. It says I'm, yeah, a, yeah. I'm a constant. Oh, interesting. That's uh, our drummer Ben is a constant as well. And it's. It, I was like, okay, so I can be... Uh, uh, seen as judgmental and cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I I'm pretty close to a constant. Like I, I'm a true type, uh, but we 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 have a lot of similarities. Um, I'm in like in a di different sector. I'm like in the light sector, but I'm 
on the closest one to the time sector, which is where you're in. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a really interesting idea that you were analyzing your fans with their personality types. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that uh, it was kind of a a pet project I had, just like kind of a personal thing that I was doing on the side for years, this kind of psychometrics test that I was using to kind of evaluate myself and some big decisions that I had coming up in my life and like forks in the road. So when I started coming up with the spirits concept with the artwork with uh, Michael Ulrich, with some of this Gothic art, I was like, you know what? I bet I could marry these two ideas. So that sparked this, uh, this whole psychometrics test and kind of the cryptic nature of the, the art, like all the art has, has meaning behind it too. Like, you know, whether you see the character, that you have like their feet is on, are on the ground or if they're lifted, you know, that that's, for example, just showing you how grounded that personality type is. Um, there's other things where you see like the symbol, like on their head or in their chest cavity, it's kind of like their, their origin point of how they process things. Cause like, if you're a, a constant, you're on the head side of the chart. So like from on the left side of the chart, there's heart, on the right side of the chart, there's head. And on the very top, there's a sight. And on the very bottom, there's sound. And so between those, there's kind of this plotting. So if you're on the head side of the chart, which you're in the time quadrant, you typically tend to process things cerebrally first. And then you allow yourself to feel an emotion about it or feel a certain way. And not always, but it's just kind of a general thing um yeah i'm very rational very logistical very methodical in my planning and yeah 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 um and so that's just one you know aspect that just as an example of like how this thing plots out but there's a lot of different uh subcomponents and personality things that that i riffed off of from the myers-briggs test and the big five traits and Um, I even took elements from the Zodiac, like, even though that's like a little more woo woo, but it's like, I tried to find this middle ground between the two, because a lot of times the real analytical tests are, are very precise, but they kind of lack some of the, the spiritual kind of mystical, like a little more vague and blurry aspects. Um, You know, when you like, I'll give you an example, like, you know, when you look through a microscope, you go through this blur and then you go clear, and then you go blur, and then you go clear. And I think that life in the same way is kind of like that. There's like these blurry, like, spots, and then there's these clear, like, levels, and then a blurry level and a clear level. And so they both have, like, a purpose and a value in the sense that, like, when you get more woo-woo and spiritual, there's like this blurry aspect to it, but it speaks to something different in reality than, like, the very precise analytical side. So um, this test was an attempt to kind of give value to both points of view and combine them. I thought it was very interesting. Um, When you worked on this record, especially obviously your vocals, you worked with somebody that I've known for a very, very, very long time, Sahaj Tikatin from Ra, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, when it comes to vocal coaching and, and, and producing, um, Talk to me about what it was like to work with him, just because I've known him for so long that the fact that he's branched out and has really started to help create this next generation of rock music, it just, it doesn't surprise me that he's doing that. Yeah, no, that was dope. Um, He was uh, just very, very talented when it came to melody and harmony. And even like his, his music theory was very high quality. So we could get to solutions really quickly. Like I would be working on a vocal part and he'd be like, why don't you hit the fourth and then go to the fifth and like this. And then he would just sing it. And he just knew exactly how it was going to harmonize. I'm like, whereas I, I'm a little less um, music theory and a little bit more by feel. I'll kind of just feel it out and kind of go, Oh, Oh, I like this. And I'll go to something. So he was a uh, really awesome when it came to like recording vocals. Cause he's such a, a powerhouse vocalist himself. And I always, enjoyed his melodies um and writing and he was kind of like one of those um what's the word kind of like a i don't know what the phrase is but we're like a a hidden gem 
you know, where he had, he had a measure of success with raw, but I still, I don't think like they hit that level where everyone knew who they were um, or, or him. So I felt like very honored to be able to, to work with someone that talented. And, and we had a great time too. We, uh, his sense of humor is very compatible with mine. We just give each other shit all the time. Like <laughs> We have really dark humor. Like if you heard some of the stuff we'd be saying in the studio, like we'd both be canceled like a thousand times over. Well, I think like, that's why he, you know, I think that's why the band broke out of here is that the people in my region of the country in, in New England are very like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like that. Though. Ball busting in your face. Yeah. Like when we're making fun of you, you know we love you. Like that's how we show you that you're kind right, of Right, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, well, so we had a good time. We did. Well, before I let you go, obviously it's the holiday season and everybody kind of has their own holiday traditions that they look forward to or... Um, New Year's resolutions, but as you're looking at the end of the year and kind of what you've accomplished, what the band has accomplished this year, how are you going to kind of mark the season and the end of the year? And then what are the goals for next year now that the world is kind of opened back up again? I don't know. Like we're, our main goal, like in the, in the future is just rebuilding all the momentum that we lost and on top of that momentum, really reaching a new height in our career. Um, Like we just, we have so many skills that we didn't have before. We have so much understanding that we didn't have before. So I'm just looking to employ it all and like, and leverage it into like some of the best music we've ever made and some of the best live shows we've ever done. So it's really just a movie soundtrack this year. I talked to yeah. everybody around the retaliators when the movie came yeah, out. Yeah. Like that's something yeah. that came out this year is a lot of stuff that happened with you guys this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it, a, a few good things started happening. Like I said, it was kind of a slow start, Yeah, but now things are starting to like pick up and uh, especially being in Nashville. Like I, I went to the jelly roll show. Oh. Uh, he sold, he sold out the arena, like 16,000 people. And, oh, yeah. um, I got the, I, you know, I got on the list because we're in similar circles and stuff and it's a crazy story. Like there was 300 people on the guest list that got cut last minute because <gasps> there was just too many people and yeah. they had to regulate it. But I talked um, to him before the show and I was yeah. like, you know, hometown show, biggest show of your career, your guest list is going to be crazy. And he was like, it's a charity show. If you can't pay for the tickets, fuck off. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to hear the guest <laughs> list that got that crazy. Oh, we got insane. Yeah. And and I I I feel for him because I know when we play our hometown shows like San Antonio, it's like it's this whole battle of, of the guest list and how many people we can get on. Everybody's an old friend. Everyone's somehow connected to family. And you know, so it gets it gets like a little touchy and you're always like, ah. So we, we just like made it real simple the last two times we played, made the guest list really small. And we're just like look, we can't, we just can't keep doing these like hundreds of people on the guest list. Like half the audience isn't going to buy a ticket <laughs> and, and we got to pay the promoter too, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but I, I went backstage there and it was, uh, it was just very inspiring. It felt like, I don't know. It felt like old school, like, and like rock and roll, like in the eighties, like when shit was crazy and wild and awesome, like felt like that again, like it was a really awesome event like people were really out coming out like dressed up for the event and like just met a ton of people in the industry and other musicians who were there like brent from uh shine down and zach from shine down were performed with him on stage and anyway just to say all that to like see someone who's you know you know someone in our genre uh making those kind of leaps it's pretty yeah, he's definitely one of the biggest breakout artists of the year, I think. Definitely. And there's nobody yeah. that doesn't like him. Like, he's the nicest guy on the planet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He definitely is. Um, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so what, yeah, about, def- what about food and stuff for the holidays? Like, what's the, uh, you know, <sighs> what's, the, what is, what's the family tradition stuff? When it, like, what are you looking forward to that says, okay, it's holiday time? 
Are you going home? <laughs> Is your mom cooking? Like what, what happens? Um, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I think just chilling here for the holidays in Louisiana. Um, I've had so much going on last year. Like we, we toured a lot this year and in between the two tours that we had, uh, I've been making trips to LA and Nashville. And so I, I feel like I haven't had a chance to really slow down. And I have this like move that I'm planning to Nashville the next few months or trying to. So I'm just going to take it easy. I don't want to travel or do anything. I kind of just want to be lazy and, and wind down. So uh, I'm just going to stay here. As far as food, though, um, that's a good question. Probably throw a Totino's pizza in the oven and call it a day, you know? Oh eat, some, eat some Walmart Christmas cookies. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> well, congratulations on on you know, being able to get back out there, releasing the record and kind of getting the nothing more momentum going back this year. It's been kind of crazy for everyone. And you're really starting yeah. 2023 on a positive foot. And I'm really excited that you guys are already working on new music for next year. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I thought after uh, 2020 and uh, 20, I, I thought 2021 was a horrible year. And then I was like, 2021 is going to be the year worst year and then 2022 hit and i was like here we go we're coming back and then i had like some crazy shit go down like in my life like in the beginning of that year i was like are you kidding me like just couldn't catch a break the last three years so 2023 here yeah, we go i know like, i'm i'm, I'm on the optimism train with you johnny so yeah hopefully it's gonna it be, to be good at this point it you know? felt like you were trying to get out of the ocean and every time you took a step a wave came and knocked you over like that's yeah, how yeah. i felt <laughs> For real. And so I'm really hoping that 2023 is a little bit better for all of us. Oh, yeah. Well, happy me new too. year. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. It was yeah. so nice to see you again. Happy new year to you as well. Good to see you, uh, as always. Uh, are you going to be on Shiprocked? No, not no, as okay. of right now, no. But you never know where I could pop up. Okay, all right. You know, getting, like I said, an excuse to get out of the cold Boston weather in January and February, getting on a cruise ship with a bunch of metalheads. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't sound like that bad of an idea. Just go hide hide in my luggage or something. Or <laughs> find someone's Better be a big-ass suitcase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Happy New Year. Merry right. Christmas, holidays, all of that. And uh, hopefully we'll get you guys back up here in 2023 as well. Yeah. No, can't wait to come back. All right. We'll um, see you soon. All right. Good to see you, Carrie. Thanks. You Bye. too. Bye. There he is, Johnny Hawkins from the band Nothing More. The band's new album, Spirits, is available everywhere. And you can get more details on that if you check the links in the show notes of this episode. You'll also find the link to take the Spirits personality test, if you dare. I had no idea I was going to have my personality analyzed by Johnny Hawkins. In the show notes, you will also find the link to this episode's corresponding playlist, I make a playlist for every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast, and it's filled with my guest music and also all the music that we referenced in the interview. You'll also find all of Johnny's social media links, nothing more social media links, and all the Mistress Carrie links as well. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. And if you got someone on your friends list that's a Nothing More fan, make sure you share the episode. Most people find new podcasts because their friends and families refer them, and I appreciate the referral. New full-length episodes of the Mistress Carrie podcast come out every Wednesday. Plus, every weekday, you get the sit rep. The Situation Report is all of your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in five minutes. Plus, you never know when we'll release a bonus episode. You can hang out with me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern on my official Facebook page for my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. And you can always listen to the Mistress Carrie radio show. Get the details on all that and to do some last-minute holiday shopping, just head to MistressCarrie.com. The Mistress Carrie podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. At Progressive, we know there's nothing like the feeling of riding a motorcycle with your crew on the open road. That symphony of engines roaring in perfect harmony. It's a feeling that would be impossible to recreate on the radio. Until now. Hit it, Jerry.
Oh, my word. Really, really terrible. Was that a glockenspiel, Jerry? Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Uh, no, Jerry. It's over. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 